What is a cap rate? What does cash on cash return mean? Today on Your Money, Your Wealth Podcast 365, Joe and Big Al take a look at investing in rental real estate as an income source for an early retirement spitball. This time they dive into the weeds a bit. Plus the stacking rule, the foreign earned income exclusion, and taxes and working or not after retirement. Finally, at what point are you saving too much to pre-tax accounts and is it a good idea to convert to that post-tax Roth before the tax brackets change? Click Ask Joe and Al on air at yourmoneyyourwealth.com to send in your money questions or comments as an email or a voice message. I'm producer Andy Last and here are the hosts of Your Money, Your Wealth, Joe Actually, let's let Joe do it for you. Uh, my name is Joe Anderson, certified financial planner with Alan Copine. He's a CPA. Appreciate you hanging out. Go to yourmoneyandwealth.com. Click on Ask Joe and Al on the air. <laughs> you want to emphasize that, huh? People call you the wrong name sometimes? Sometimes, Al. It's Joel, John. <laughs> uh, jackass. Uh, <laughs> Um, Your word, not mine. Now, Susan writes in from Florida. Here, Andy, Joe, and Al. Our big Al. I'm sorry. Yeah, let's get it right. Sorry, big. <laughs> uh, <laughs> discovered your podcast the past few months. Don't change a thing. Ooh. I prefer to be entertained as I learn. You said we're changing anything. Well, I think um, Ninja and others made you question your style, maybe. Well, I was just going to be tired. <laughs> Uh, if you if you would indulge me, I'd love to hear a conversation on real estate investments, not a Roth conversion question. All right. Okay. Uh, most of our retirement nest egg is tied up in real estate investment properties. Disclosure, I'm a realtor going after what I know. Oh, okay. Susan. Yep. Oh, she's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's what Warren Buffett says. Invest in what you know. Oh, yeah. Uh, my husband and I, are 52 and 53, and plan on retiring fully by age 60 at the latest. We currently have approximately $1.7 million in investment properties that generate monthly income around $5,000 a month after PITI, principal interest taxes and insurance for you real look, estate newbies. Look at there. you. Good oh, for yeah. you. PITI. Uh, now, uh, but we anticipate that will be closer to about $8,000 a month when we're 60 due to the recent increases in all our mortgages being paid off. Okay. Sweet. We have two children, ages 22 and 24, and would like to retain the three rental properties until we both hit the pearly gates so they can inherit them and get the step up in basis and not have to incur taxes on the sale of them. This is my vision. Oh, this is my version of Roth. Yeah. Tax-free. Love it. <laughs> okay. I know what you're going to say. You're not going to want to be a landlord when you're older. Nope. I wasn't going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> I might have. But we'll get the kids to manage them or a management company. In the meantime, the money generated from rent plus our Social Security will allow us not to have to sell the properties or touch our retirement accounts. Our forever home will be paid for, so we will only need $150,000 to live very comfortably. That will come from approximately $96,000 in rental income, $72,000 in Social Security income, uh, which we'll start collecting at age 67. Here's my question for you to spitball. Does the simple scenario I've laid out even make sense? I realize that tax law could change, but in the event that they don't, how are we looking? 
if you have any interest, other assets include uh, pre-tax retirement, 350, Roth IRA, 130, little HSA, uh, 35, I-bonds, 63. Yeah. Wow. And then uh, they got the primary residence paid in full, 1.5 million. Also, doesn't make sense to build up a cash account between now and 60 to save taxes due Roth conversions on the pre-tax accounts. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to have to chat on this. And Andy, God bless. You must have older brothers. <laughs> I do. Joan Big L. <laughs> that referring to how we treat her? I don't know. So Susan, if you like real estate, go with what you know. So I don't know where she's getting her numbers. I mean, is she increasing the rents, you know, by a couple of percent per year? Um, if that, I mean, here, if you laid out your numbers, I don't really see any issues with it besides the fact that you could have vacancies. Um, something could happen to the properties where you would have to put a lot of additional capital sure. into the properties. Um, so you might be discounting some of that a little bit. Um yeah, I think the the I, I think the strategy is fine. I really do. The um, here's my concerns. Yep. <laughs> PITI is not the expenses. It's some of the expenses: principal, interest, taxes, and insurance. As you mentioned, Joe, there's vacancies, and and typically when there's vacancies, the house needs or condo needs work. It needs new carpet or new paint or whatever. Mm-hmm. And occasionally you need to get a new, new, new roof, yep. new furnace, new water heater, new, new everything, right? So um, th- those all have to be factored into what the real profit is. And, and so maybe this year, next year, and the year after, you didn't have any big repairs, but you should be setting some aside. This isn't all straight profit because it's going to come up. We know it's going to come up. So just be aware of that. Your 5000 per month may not be quite that much when you factor in some of these other things. The 8,000 per month, probably the same thing. Um, rent increases, uh, mortgages paid off. So th- th- it's a sound strategy. You're basically going to be have a lot of equity that you're not really going to be enjoying, but it sounds like that's okay because you got enough in- in other income from other sources. It sounds like you don't mind being a landlord. There's lots of property managers out there. They will probably not do as good a job as you will, but they will, in many cases, do a, a good enough job. As you get older, you don't have to worry about it. Your kids, I, I, I would say that they may or may not be interested. <laughs> just being honest, you, you do have kids. <laughs> I age. do. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> they actually do want me to teach them about real estate, but it's uh, they're now um, in their late twenties and early thirties, and it's like it hasn't been really top of mind for them. <laughs> but I think it, it's, it's a fine strategy. As far as the saving cash for Roth conversions, yeah, if you're in a loan up bracket, go for it. But you've got 350,000 in a pre-tax retirement. I'm, I'm not too worried about your required minimum distribution. So I don't think that's your main strategy. And if you ever need to grab it for, you know, for, for a need, it might be because of long-term care, which is deductible anyway. So you know, maybe that's less important than if it were, you know, add another zero yeah. <laughs> to that. No, I like it. I mean, if you could get the debt paid off, um, that's a really conservative strategy. Yeah. Well, just what you want to compare it to if, but, but you're, you're buying what you know and you love. So yeah. I mean, why, why change? Yeah. 
Um, but if you're looking to see from an, a different perspective or a different investment, you just look at what, what what is your cash on cash return? What is the equity of the overall properties that you have is rentals? And what is the cash or the net cash flow that you are receiving and just divide? Right. And at that number, you might be surprised of how low it is, or you might be surprised of, hey, you know, it's a four or five percent. And then that is a sound investment and a sound investment strategy. Yeah, and, but- and in general, Florida has decent cash flow for rentals compared to California, where we're from. When you look at real estate now, there's there's cash on cash and there's a cap rate. We haven't talked about this in a while. Right. Let, right. Let's kind of break this down because I think you know, people like our friend Susan in Florida, you know. You know, buy what you know. I love real estate, and you know, hey, it, which is perfectly fine. Um, but does she really know anything else in regards to how she would compare that to? Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. So let's start with cap rate. That's very simple. So um, that's just going to be your your cash flow without regard to any debt that you have. So principal and interest, take that off the table. So whatever your cash flow is divided into the value of the property. Okay. And, and in San Diego, where we're from, it's common to have a cap rate on a single family home rental of about 3%, maybe three and a half percent, not a great cash flow vehicle, but you know, that's roughly what you're getting. Sometimes it's less. Generally, the more expensive the property, the worse the cap rate is. Because, that- yeah. Because you're dividing your cash. So let's say you're getting, you know, $4,000 a month in rents in this million, $2 million place or million dollar, you know, house, or I'm in Florida, I'm getting $3,500 in rent for a $500,000 house. Right, right. Right. So then you can look at, all right, well, what am I really receiving in regards to cash flow? And you just divide that into the market value to look at, all right, well, what percentage is that? Is that 1%, 3%? And then you can say, well, can I invest my capital in an alternative vehicle that I believe could do better than 3%? So that's kind of how you want to compare, you know, any type of investment vehicle. If I'm looking at CDs to municipal bonds, to real estate, to individual stocks, to an ETF, to a mutual fund, you're looking at the growth potential of the overall investment, the income potential of the overall investment, the tax benefit, if there is any, right, then that's going to equal your total return. So, you know, I remember, you know, back, Al and I have been doing this show now way too long, but in the, the credit crisis, you know, people... We're like, yeah, you know, I love my real estate because I can drive by and look at it. Sure. And then it went <laughs> way down. <laughs> All right, drive by and look at it now. I mean, what's it worth? It's worth half. Yeah. I'm watching it go down. <laughs> yeah, just watching. My house is still there, but it's worth half. All right. So, I mean, is that a reason to own it, right? Because you can drive by and look at it? I right. Don't know. Well, so you bring up a good point. So cash flow is not the only rate of return. It's also appreciation and tax benefits, uh, debt pay down and so forth. And so... Here, to me, here's here's a mistake that some people make when they say, "I'm never going to sell my real estate because it's such a good investment vehicle," and but then they have their only, really their only benefit, if that's the case, is the cash flow, which maybe it's three percent. Not saying that's bad, but that's what you're getting. So what about all the appreciation? Well, it's appreciating four or five percent per year. That's that's pretty good. It is good, but who's going to get that? Right, your kids. And so- and as long as you understand that. That's because you're not going to get it if you never sell. Your kids are going to get it. So basically, you're doing all this work, building all this equity, 
for your children. And maybe that's your goal. Exactly. So it, it is the goal really to be, all right, well, I want to leave a lasting legacy to my overall um, heirs. Right. Okay. That's a perfect, great, perfectly great strategy. Sure. Or it is your goal. I want to maximize my overall retirement income. Uh, you can still do real estate. It's not like you, you, we're, we're telling you to sell and go into a, a, a stock portfolio, but you look at the equity and then you're like, okay, well here, I, I've accumulated a lot of equity. Maybe I can upgrade now. Maybe I can 1031 exchanges into um, you know multi-unit, right? Where historically you might be able to get a better cash on cash return. Maybe you look at apartments. Maybe you look at, you know, I mean, there's multiple different vehicles that you can look at. I guess my point is, is that you have to examine each of your, I guess, investments and just understand what your total return is on it. Then you can make better decisions, I think, versus emotional decisions. Sure. Because she has an emotional attachment towards those properties because, hey, I bought these. I know them. I want to give them to my kids. And guess what? When we hit the pearly gates and when we die, you know what? They get a full step up in tax basis. So they won't have to pay tax. They hate real estate. They'll sell it the next day. Boom. That's her, you know, quote unquote, Roth strategy to get tax-free dollars to the kids. Perfectly great strategy because now she's just leveraging the growth for the kids and not necessarily participating in that growth for her and her husband. Yeah. And, and of course, it's it's always there if you need it. Like if, if something comes up in your life where you need more, more capital, you can sell the property. You can fall back on it. Joe, I'll just briefly say cash on cash. That's just simply your net cash flow after your, your loan and interest, whatever that is, divided by your equity. So the property is worth 500,000. The, the loan is 400,000. So you got 100,000 equity and your cash flow is, you know, thousand bucks, right? So you divide that into the, into the hundred thousands, you have a 1% cash on cash in that particular example. Yeah. So, I mean, you're looking cap rate is the total market value of the overall property or the asset. That's right. Divided by the cash flow, not including principal and interest. And cash on cash is taking um, cash flow divided into your equity. Exactly. Now, some some people add back the principal because they fig they figure they're getting they're paying down debt. You can there's different ways to look at it, but at least in Southern California, unless you put a huge down payment down, your cash flow is not positive. It's negative, right? right. So, and it's negative now. What's going to happen when? something goes wrong with the property or the economy changes and it's hard to get the same rents that you were getting. Just be aware of these things. A lot of people have been hurt, myself included, on, on this strategy. That's not to say I, I actually love real estate. I still have three rentals. I love real estate. Just understand what you're doing and what the risks are. Yeah, because you can make a ton of cash. I mean, we, we get a lot of fire questions, you know, from people that are looking for passive income. Right. Who was that one? I'm not going to say anything derogatory about him, but I guarantee he's filing bankruptcy. Yeah, um, I remember who you're talking about. <laughs> I know who you're talking about as well. Blogger, right? I guarantee. Is he still? I, I guarantee that guy does not have a blog. I don't even I'll, know. Why he's I'll see what it. I can find. I'll see if he's still oh. around. I, well, know, and the, the problem with that approach. Is so so he, uh, what the approach was, he was just leveraging, 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 leveraging. So it's like, here, I bought this one property for $100,000 and I put, you know, 10% down and then the market went up. And then so I refinanced, I pulled another some dollars out of this rental and I put that as a down payment for another one. And then I'm leveraging up this one and I'm buying this one. And so, oh, I got this great, big, large portfolio, but I'm fully levered 
to high hell, right? right. Yep. And then the market turns a smidge. You have a vacancy. Um, something goes wrong, right? Your house of cards blows up. It, it blows up. It's it's happened to almost every real estate guru out there. It happened to me to a certain extent. And I kind of read this stuff. And I thought, no, oh, this wouldn't happen. I'm in Southern California. Properties don't go down. And then the Great Recession hit and properties went down 25, 30%. And we're in San Diego where we're living. And so, and, and I had some properties in Las Vegas that went down over 50%. And all of a sudden your, your loan to value, your equity goes from a nice positive figure to negative. Your value is less than your debt. And oh, you have trouble paying the mortgage because you can't charge the same rents because no one has money. No one has a job. Right. It's like, just factor all this in. <laughs> right. Hey, if you aren't subscribed to the YMYW newsletter, you may not know that tomorrow, Wednesday, February 16th at noon Pacific time, Big Al Clopine will be presenting a free live webinar on alternative retirement income sources, including real estate, reverse mortgages, potential side hustles, and passive income streams. He'll share the pros, the cons, and mistakes to avoid to help you boost your monthly income in retirement. Moderated by yours truly, we'll make sure this free webinar includes time for you to get your retirement income questions answered by Big Al live. Go to the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com right now to register and to sign up for the YMYW newsletter so you don't miss future events. Click the link in the description of today's episode in your podcast app to go to the show notes and sign up. Jeff, join out. Greetings from sunny Singapore. 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 Oh. Have you ever been? What an international program yeah. here. Global. No, right. never been. Me neither. My, my son, Rob's been. I have a question regarding the stack. <laughs> <laughs> There's a name for those, those funny things they put on the plane. I suppose. I mean, maybe instead of wheels. It's called a seaplane. I know, but, but Float the, plane? the attachment that goes on the wheel. Oh, ah. oh okay. Um, they have boat-like hulls, also known as flying boats. Flying boats. There you go. Oh, Blank actually, pontoons. those with separate pontoons or floats as float planes. So there you go. Wow, look at that. Oh, I know what you're talking about. It's a pontoon. Like, okay, <laughs> so you party on those things, <laughs> yeah. huh? Yes, I do. <laughs> those little things that go on the wheel. <laughs> yes. yeah. I got an oar, <laughs> six pack of course light. <laughs> Just on your lap. Yeah. Got it. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, all right. I have a question regarding the stacking rule in the foreign earned income exclusion. Um, okay. So we got Jeff in Singapore earning some cash in Singapore. Uh, we can use the foreign, excuse me, foreign earned income exclusion to exclude 108,700 of earned income. If this is all of our income, our AGI would be zero. Can we then go into our brokerage account and step up in basis $109,000 and be in the 0% tax bracket for long-term capital gain? Or does the foreign income um, exclusion get added back when harvesting gains? Um, so let's stop there. And then I'll kind of explain a little bit of what he's talking about in regards to the foreign income uh, exclusion. So we have clients that um, we're big military base here, right? In San Diego. Yes. Navy and Marines. Thank you for your service. And, you know, we have spouses of those armed um, service individuals that might do some uh, occupation in another country. 
um, such as let's say Japan. Right. Okay. Um, and then there's this foreign income exclusion that basically would could zero out someone's income. Yeah. So the the here's what it is: is if you work in a foreign country, well, guess what? You're going to be taxed in that country's tax system. That's just the way it works. So what the U.S. has said is you can earn about $108,000 of W-2 earnings, salary, right? And we're not even going to count that on your on, on your U.S. return. We're not going to tax it U.S.-wise. You're just going to pay whatever country that you're in taxes on their system yeah. up to that $108,000. Yeah, and, and here's the mechanics. You actually do include the $108,000 on your U.S. return, but then you get a deduction. It's an adjustment to, to income right on your tax return. So the net effect is it zeros out as long as it's 108,000 or below. If it's above that, well, then you got to pay tax in the US as well as the other country, which then leads to a foreign tax credit. That's a whole nother story. But in this example, the question is, um, is, this, is this going to be added back for capital gain purposes? And, and so the, because what we're what he's saying is he has about 108,000 of income that goes away from the exclusion. Can he sell about $100,000 of capital gains and pay no tax, stay in that that 12% bracket? And the answer is yes, because the capital gain uh, rate is based upon taxable income, right? If your taxable income is in the 12% bracket or or lower, you don't pay any capital gains, long-term capital gains for at least federal income tax purposes. So yeah, there's no unusual strange add back just for the long-term capital gain calculation. So again, this is another example of <clears throat> the capital gain sitting on top because you're zeroed your ordinary income out. Um, capital gains would go on top of the ordinary income. Right. And then you were, because he has zero ordinary income on yeah. his US return, um, he can yeah. sell up to the top of the 12% federal tax bracket and pay zero capital gains on those stocks. And, and it's a good question because there's a lot of confusion. Is the capital gain tax based upon your income, your adjusted gross income, or your taxable income? It's based upon your taxable income, which is already your, your foreign income is already net against the foreign earned income exclusion. Um, he's got another, <clears throat> excuse me, he's got another follow up. Uh, if the answer is exclusions are added back in for determining taxes, is the tr uh, is this? Uh, I should have read this. Huh? Did we already answer this? <laughs> is this true for the sale of a home as well? That is, I know we can exclude up to five hundred thousand dollars from a sale of our home. If we were to sell our home, assuming we now live in America and this is our primary residence and wanted to also sell $225,000 of stock in our brokerage account with the $500,000, assuming this was our gain, have to be stacked back um, and put this into a higher long-term capital gain bracket. Can you point me in um, information addressing these concepts? Uh, kind of regards, Jeff. So now he wants to sell his home. That's a 121 exclusion. Yeah. So you automatically get two hundred fifty dollars or $500,000 excluded from taxes um, if you lived in the house two out of the last five years. So if he sold his house um, and sold the stock, you get the exclusion. He gets the foreign income um, exclusion, plus his, his, his taxable income is zero. Right. So he could sell up to the top of the 12% tax yeah. bracket and pay 0% that, tax that's there. It, it's the same answer. There, there's no weird add back on, on the exclusion uh, with regards to your sale of your home. There's no add back on the foreign income for an earned income exclusion. It's just your taxable income. Start from there. And then if, if you end up at zero, then you can sell 
to the top of the 12% bracket for a married couple is, um, it, it's a little over a hundred thousand. I'm just using a hundred thousand as the number. The reason I get that is because there's a standard deduction. So you can have more income than the top of the 12% bracket, which is about 83,000. Uh, PS, <clears throat> uh, went home this winter to North Dakota. Ooh. Average temps were in the negative most of the time. <laughs> uh, didn't mind a bit as temps most days in Singapore are in the nineties. It's from North Dakota. So you can probably relate to some of those winters. Yeah, right? I don't go home in the winter. Jeff. <laughs> what the hell are you thinking? But you used to live there. Yes, and I've I've, I've lived here twenty years. Yeah, almost. right. You you don't typically but go back. In the- I left at eighteen. Your mom comes out in the winter. Oh, she's coming out next week. Really? Okay, oh, sure. Two months, probably. Two, Three yeah, months. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah, I just put her in the garage. <laughs> put put the beer fridge. <laughs> Yeah, next to the beer fridge. Got it. Pretty. She likes, yeah, I just got to load up now on Bud Light. And she likes the Bud Light. I like the Coors Light. Yeah. No, I could um, put her put her to work. Just text her when you need a I beer. I guarantee Jeff in North Dakota, he's got a refrigerator in his garage, you even in Singapore. Yeah. Well, I was saying, I don't think you need a refrigerator in the garage in, in North Dakota. In North Dakota, at least <laughs> not, in the winter. Not in the winter. No, I haven't been. Um, oh, yeah. Winters are awful. I mean, it was terrible negatives. Yeah. So, um, all right. Very complex question, Jeff. Uh, nothing too bad for Big Al, though. The big brain on. We used to do this segment called Stump Big Al. Remember that? Yeah. Never happened. <laughs> Except when it happened. <laughs> <laughs> Frequently. <laughs> all the time. We got Andre from Bavaria, Germany. You said it right. Well done. No. <laughs> Bavaria. You ever been? Uh, not to Bavaria, but I've been to Germany. I've been to Munich. Yeah. What'd you do there? Go to Hopra House. Uh, Drink what? some beer. A Hopper House? Ho- Hofbrau House. That's that Hofbrau. Hofbrau. That that's like their famous um, beer garden. There's others too. Is that um, the what's the celebration? Oh, Oktoberfest. Oktoberfest. Yeah, they do. They. I was not there during Oktoberfest, but yes, they would do a big one there. Got it. All right. Yep. Um, I'm 37 now and will be able to retire from my current job, U.S. Army at 45 with $70,000 pre-tax retirement income. My wife and I invest $80,000 a year and are on track to have $2 million in our brokerage account by the time I retire. Well, thank you for your service, first of all. Um, what is he? He's 37. He's going to retire right. at 45 and he's going to have $2 million. Couple million. It's like, good job. Yeah. The guy's legit. <laughs> uh, we are also, we also have a rental property worth $700,000 that we're breaking even on rent wise. I still plan on working after retirement number one, but want to have your opinion to do otherwise. All right. Using the 4% rule. I can take out $80,000 from my brokerage account annually without depleting my portfolio, resulting in 150,000 annual passive income. And my wife will likely still work making about $100,000 a year. How destroyed will we get on taxes if we decide not to work? Now to take it a step further, what if we pay off our rental property and add $50,000 in annual income from rent? Thanks. Okay. That's, there's some stuff to unpack here. Yeah, there's plenty. First of all, congratulations, Andre, from Bavaria, Germany. I don't think he's from Bavaria, Germany. I think he's, he's stationed, there. Yeah. stationed there. Yes, I would agree. Okay. 
Uh, so he's in the U.S. Army, saving a ton of money. He's 37, wants to retire at 45. Guy's jamming as much money as possible into his brokerage account. So he thinks he's going to have $2 million in a brokerage account. So in a brokerage account, you're subject to capital gains tax, which is 0%. It could be 15%. It could be 20%, really, depending on your taxable income and what tax bracket that you're in. Right. Okay. Um, So he's got a rental property. Not sure what the debt is on that, but he's breaking even on it. If he pays off the debt, then he gets another $50,000 of income. Right. Wife is making a hundred grand. He's thinking, I'm going to take 4% out of my overall portfolio. That's going to generate $80,000. So 4% of 2 million is 80 grand. Sure. Um, And then he's got another, what, 80,000 brokerage account without depleting my portfolio, resulting in $150,000 annual passive income. Yeah. So I think that's the 80,000 of pension, 70,000 of pension plus the 80,000 pulling from the brokerage. I think that's where he gets the 150. Okay. I didn't, uh, where's the, Oh, forty-five, seventy thousand dollars yeah. a year. Got it. Okay. Um, and then if a, if wife still works, she makes another hundred. So, so then they make two two fifty per his math. But then he's like, "How destroyed will we get on taxes if I decide not to work?" Well, if you work, you'll it'll be worse. I'll right. Put it, I'll put it that way. If you're just simply looking at taxes. But I don't think he's going to get destroyed in taxes. No, at all. I, I don't either. I think he's a little mixed up. So the $70,000 of pension. Yes, that's ordinary income. Yeah, but you know, part of that's going to be a VA pension that's tax free. Yeah, that, that true. Could be right. But the well, eight- I mean, I, have you ever seen someone that has a pension in the military that doesn't have a portion of that tax rate? Uh, it's very common, right? Hey, yeah. I, had, I was injured. Very common. Yep. Anyway, the $80,000 a year, which is 4% of 2 million. That's what you're thinking of pulling out. That's pulling it out of your brokerage account. You've got tax bases, right? So let's say you, you million dollars is what you originally invested and it grew to 2 million. So when you pull it out, just, just being a simple example, then you pull out $80,000, only 40,000 is taxable, right? Given, given that very simple example. And that's capital gains rate. Right. So it's not the whole 150 is, is going to be taxable. Uh, if wife is working and that's another hundred thousand dollars, that's ordinary income. So basically, I think what you have here is 70,000 plus a hundred, that's 170, you know, minus a standard deduction, we'll call it 25,000, right? So 140, 150, something like that before capital gains. That's that's in the um, 22% bracket. So you fill up the 12% bracket, you're in the 22% bracket. Uh, if you work, then it's going to push extra your salary into the 24% bracket, right? But I think the biggest issue here is that you're 45 years old, right? I would not be taking 4% out of my brokerage account at 45 years old. You're, I, I would you're, you're going to deplete the account. Yeah. So the 4% rule does not apply to a 45-year-old. It applies to like a 70-year-old. Yeah. 65 is where it was first thought of. Right. right. So now we're even looking at 3% for someone at 65. Yeah. And, so you're 45. You want to take 2% out. Yeah. Two, two and a half. Three would, three would be upper limit. Right. Because I guarantee he's probably fairly aggressive because he's still young and he, sure. I could go back to work. If the market turns on him and he's taking 4% out, it's going to be very hard for him to get caught up. Yeah. Um, you know, just because of the simple math of well, it's, it's more complex math is if, if your account is down you know, 25%, right. And then I earn 25% the next year, I'm not whole. Right. You need to earn like 35% just to get you back to square one. And if you're taking out an additional 4%, 
right? You're going to have to have a lot larger rate of return on the rebound just to get your principal or just to get your basis back. Sure. So be careful on when you start taking distributions. Um, you know, you've got a great pension. Your wife is going to continue to work. You've saved a couple million bucks. Um, you know, I, I would kind of run the numbers here. Well, and I would say if, if Andre's going to have that much money by age 45, he's, they're probably not spending a lot right now anyway. He's probably saving 100% of his income. Right. So, he's in so, Germany. Right? So in other words, if you've got, if you have 70,000 for retirement and your wife's making a hundred, that's 170 just right there. Do you need more than that? I'm thinking no, based upon how much is being saved. Wow. Well, maybe he's, do you need more than that? Look at you. <laughs> where, where are you spending your money, Andre? No, I'm just saying, I don't think he's spending near that much right now. No, Hofbrau. Yeah. Ho- on the Hofbrau house. <laughs> that could be. I don't know where Bavaria is compared to Munich, but I, I mean, congratulations. The guy's definitely a saver oh, and I don't think he it. could probably to, to spend that much savers have a, have a difficult time spending. I think he's just spitballing some stuff in the air and yeah, just seeing, Hey, d- does this make sense? And he's kind of worried about the tax bill. Um, the tax bill is not going to be all that bad, but if he works, how much is he going to be making? You know? So if he adds another, you know, a hundred thousand dollars of income, um, on top yeah, of it'll be probably 24% bracket yeah. mostly. So, uh, but it, if, if your savings are all in a non-retirement account, you're very tax efficient. You um, if they were, if it was all in a retirement account, um, especially at 45, I mean, that thing would probably double by the time he's taking the money out at 60 and, sure. uh, then he's, then he's, he's got four million taxes. Right. Listen to YMYW podcast episode 345 for more on working or retiring abroad. It's linked in the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. You know, Peer Financial has been doing free financial assessments via Zoom throughout the pandemic. So whether you're in Southern California or sitting in a beer garden in Munich, which is in Bavaria, by the way, it doesn't matter. You can still have one of the experienced financial professionals on Joe and Big Al's team at Pure Financial Advisors take a look at your overall financial picture and help you choose a path to retirement that works for you. Pure Financial is a fee-only fiduciary. They don't sell any investment products or earn any commissions, and they're required by law to act in the best interest of their clients. Click the link in the description of today's episode in your podcast app to go to the show notes, then click Get an Assessment assessment to schedule that zoom meeting at a time and date convenient for you all right let's go paul from cardiff um, he goes at what point am i saving too much in my pre-tax accounts i've been contributing to my 401ks since i was 24 i'm 46 now i'm concerned when it's time to withdraw from my retirement accounts it would push me into a higher tax bracket should i put more contributions into my roth 401k all right. Uh, thanks for the question, Paul. So Paul is jamming all money pre-tax into his 401k since he was 24. He's now 46. Yeah. And now realizing, oh, when I get to 72, this could be a pretty big number. Or 65 or whenever he retires. Yep. Um, so Alan, you could give the CPA advice of when <laughs> you should go pre-tax and after tax. And I'll give you kind of real life advice. All right. I'm going to take it a little different way. All right. So I'm going to say, um, Paul, I think, uh, well, it's great you're saving. It sounds like you're saving a lot, which is fantastic that you're already now starting to worry about too much accumulation. So good for you. Now, if, I w- if you could go back 20 years, when you were in your 20s, you should have been doing Roth, 
right? Because you were probably in a lower income tax bracket. That could have solved this whole problem. So for our listeners that are in their 20s, switch to Roth right now if you have that ability with your 401k. But Paul, in your case, you went all deductible, which, which is fine. I'm, I'm glad you have it. I think at this point, you know, the CPA answer is this, that Joe is alluding to, is it depends upon your tax bracket today and it and then your tax bracket in retirement. And you run projections to figure out what's this going to grow to, what's your social security, how much required minimum distribution will you have? Do you have pensions? What does that income look like? What is that bracket uh, versus today? That's the CPA answer. But that's not the, the entire answer, which you're going to explain. Right. Well, I mean, Paul and I are roughly the same age here. And if I had all of my dollars sitting in pre-tax 401k plans, I don't care what tax bracket Paul's in, I'm going Roth, 100%, right? Because you still have 20 years of accumulation. I don't care what you're paying in tax now. I believe tax rates are only going to go up. If you have money in Roth IRAs, it's going to give you the diversification that you need long-term that can keep you in lower brackets. And it takes the, the, the uncertainty of higher taxes off the table. Totally, because you're going to pay tax today at whatever rate that you have, and then you're going to have those dollars compound 100% tax-free for life, right? And then for your spouse's life, and then the kid's life. It is one of the best vehicles by far uh, that you know the, this retirement crappy retirement system ever came up with. So I would take advantage of it uh, before they take it away. We got Edward um, with the Tax Cuts Act ending in January 2026, in combined income of $80,000, should I transfer some funds for my traditional IRA of $250,000 to a Roth that only has a few hundred? I had, I've had the Roth for over five years, age 56, married, and considering retirement before age 65. So what, he's got a Roth IRA with a couple hundred bucks and he's yeah. got an IRA of 250, he's got taxable income or he's got um, combined income of $80,000. Should he transfer? Sure. So the um, it's called convert. Yep. Uh, so you're not transferring, you're converting traditional IRA dollars into a Roth um, at $80,000. Yeah, you, you could do about 30,000 almost and keep that in the 12% bracket. Well, we don't know if that's taxable EGI. Or well, he, he says combined income. So I'm just going to assume that's Gross. what it is. Okay. And so you could have, and these are round numbers. Oh, I, know, yes, I, I know, I know how you like to do round numbers. So $110,000 is your target income. You get a, you get a, um, uh, you get a standard deduction of a little over $25,000 that puts you at 85, which is roughly the top of the 12% bracket. I would not go any higher than that dollar amount. Uh, $250,000 in the overall account. Um, the RMD is not going to be that much. Yeah. And you're only 56. You want to retire in nine years. Um, you can get a ton of that money out, depending on if he's saving or if he has a, sure. a, a really large 401k plan, if he has yeah. a pension plan. I mean, there's a lot of information that we don't know. Yeah, so. yeah, true. We got big derails today. Cousin Eddie, international travel, fishing in Canada, pontoons, and more. So stick around to the end of the episode. Your Money, Your Wealth is presented by Pure Financial Advisors. Click that Get an Assessment button in the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com or call us at 888-994-6257 to schedule your free financial assessment at a time and date convenient for you, no matter where you are in the country 
or in the world. Chances are one of the experienced financial professionals at Pure can identify strategies to help you create a more successful retirement. Pure Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full and informed investment decision. Did you just call me John? I did not. I said Joe and Big Al. Or Joel? (laughs) No, that was not me. That was somebody else. Andy, we're like a family. Yeah, we are. Yeah. And you we are get... definitely like big brothers. Yeah. We got Cousin Eddie in the back. Of... <laughs> How do you describe we got, him? We got, we got <laughs> Cousin Eddie, uh, Aaron in the back. We, we don't let him uh, talk or um, to be seen, but... He can uh, he can talk. He just can't hear you him. You just can't hear him. Yeah, we hear him. Yeah, we hear him. It's, that's enough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yep. Everyone needs a cousin Eddie. True. I've been out of the U.S. like twice. Mexico? Uh, maybe three times. If you... <laughs> Mexico, Canada, and yes. West Sailor. Yeah, I've been to Canada a couple of times because I'm from Minnesota. Bahamas? Um, uh, yeah. I've been to the Bahamas once when I uh, went to, when I was in yeah, Florida. Yeah, sure. And um, I went to London. Oh, you went way across oh, the Atlantic. Yes. Look at that. Yeah. I went to uh, London for like a week. Okay. Uh, but that's about it. Mm-hmm. I didn't know you're such an international traveler. It's, it's crazy, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> My passport is out of control. One step, maybe two. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! Have you, been, right. have you been to Canada? Oh yeah. Okay. As a kid. Oh yeah, because of Minnesota. Yeah. We Got did, yeah. Go um, fishing. Sure. Uh, take these little um, flying cabins. Yeah. Um, like the, the, the planes land on the water. Sure. Yeah, that would be not very much fun. I don't think. <laughs> you catch a ton of fish. I'm sure. Um, but because no one else is doing it. Exactly. You're the only one. To, you, you, right. You have this whole thing. To, you, know, you know, these lakes yourself. Uh, but that was in high school, and I haven't been fishing since. Got it. Because it's you're spoiled, right? You throw a line and you're catching all these walleye. And, right. Right. Are you freezing? We have. No, it's summer. Oh, it's summer. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I'm not ice fishing in a. I thought you said you land on a lake. Yeah, an airplane does because it's remote. Oh, because it's pontoons. Okay. <laughs> no, it's an airplane that I'm... lands on a lake. And now I understand. But it's not a pontoon. Don't you call those pontoons? Uh, what, what do you call? What do you call that? <laughs> a pontoon is what you sit and party on. <laughs> I don't think pontoons fly. I don't know what you call that. The, the kind of plane that lands on water. Yes. I'll have to look that up. You know, have you ever seen uh, Fantasy Island? Oh, yeah. Yeah, the plane, the plane? Yeah, tattoo. (laughs) 